This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the book of 1 Timothy again, chapter 3. Last week we turned to chapter 3 and we really focused on verses 2 through 7 as we thought about the character of one who would be called to be an elder. But this morning we're going to focus on verse 1. This is the final sermon in our series on elders. Next week we'll be back in the book of Genesis. In fact, just to, for parents, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, as we come back to Genesis, we are going to be in the part of Abraham's story where God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, which means, of course, we'll be dealing with the sin of homosexuality and what the Scripture says about that. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Be praying this week as we prepare to get back into Genesis. Now, our thinking about elders is not at an end yet. I'll be meeting today with the second group of uh, Sunday school classes for the second time and next week with the third and final group then we have set aside time on Sunday evening I believe it's at five o'clock on October the 23rd for a time of discussion where as a church we'll come together and do our best to answer questions pray together and discern God's will and then a vote on the question of changing our leadership model to that of an elder-led congregation will take place on Sunday morning, November the 6th. So please continue to be in prayer for that. I also want to remind you that we have a prayer group meetings Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock as we are praying, seeking to discern God's will. Now, I would also ask you to keep in mind that as we answer questions, there's a lot of details that will not be worked out until the church decides it wants to make this change. If the church votes to make the change to an elder-led model, the bylaws committee will then go to work to hammer out the details and then we'll be coming back to discuss their proposal and to work through that. So this is really just the first step in the process should God lead us in this direction. So this morning we are coming to the question of how would elders be selected? And let me, as I've done each Sunday, just give a little bit of a review. Why are we considering this? Well, there are three reasons. The scripture, we want to come back to continually ask, what does the Scripture say? And that's something we never get past. I think it's easy for us who have been believers for a long time and have grown up in church to make the assumption, well, we, we know what the Bible says in that. Think about how often in your daily Bible reading when you come to a verse that you're familiar with and you just skim it or, or skip over it because you think John 3, 16, ah, I've heard that many times, but that's not necessarily a healthy practice. We always need to come back to the Scripture to say, Lord, what do you teach? What are you leading us to do? What's your direction for our lives? So with this question before us, what the Bible teaches has to be the first and foremost reason why we would consider this change. Also, I mentioned the circumstances in, in my life that has affected not only how we operate at home, but certainly my ministry and how I'm able to function. And then also thinking just in terms of continuity for leadership, uh, for our church to have stable leadership in place. 
So that when change comes in the staff, whether it be at the level of a, a lead pastor, my role, or a, a, another staff member, that there's a group in place that will lead the congregation through that change, understanding our culture, our DNA, our values, and who we are. So that's the why. We next looked at, well, what would elders do? And I, I, this is a sentence that I came up with that I think really describes not only what elders would do, but the character they are to have. Elders are to be conduits of Jesus, displaying the character and compassion of Jesus as they care for his flock. That last phrase, care, speaks of the idea of a shepherd. And remember, there are three words in the New Testament that are synonymous for this role. There's elder, overseer, and pastor or shepherd. That last one speaks of care. So I think an elder has to display the character and the compassion of Jesus in giving care for the flock. Well, how do they care for the flock? These four phrases give a summary of that. They protect the flock, pray for the flock, feed the flock. That's preaching and teaching. And they lead the flock. Not drive the flock, not command the flock. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, we're, the, the church is given a warning. In fact, Peter warns elders that they are to shepherd not out of compulsion or out of a desire for authority, but as shepherds. So that's what elders do. Last week we looked at who can be an elder, and we camped out in 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 8, looking that the very first issue as to who can be an elder is character. Looking at the characteristics described in 1 Timothy 2, uh, chapter 3, verses 2 through 7 is crucial. Character is of the utmost importance. And the other aspect that we'll be diving into today is the issue of calling. And that's why I wanted us to, to this morning to focus on verse 1 of this a little bit more in depth as we think about, well, how are elders selected? Hear the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Key words that I would have you focus on are really synonymous in this, this verse. The word aspire and the word desire. They both speak of longing, something that, that one wants. And it not only speaks of something one wants, they speak of the issue of calling. Now, calling is a word, an idea that is found throughout the Old and the New Testaments. And it's rooted in the fact of who God is. It's rooted in the fact that God is, He exists, and that He is relational. And as God interacts with us as His creation... He relates with us on a personal basis, often, often issuing a call or a summons that we would follow Him and obey Him. This issue of calling is crucial. In his book, uh, The Call by Oz Guinness, Oz Guinness gives this definition of the call. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to Himself so decisively in other words, when you receive the call of God on your life, there is no denying it. You may fight against it, you may run from it, but it is decisive that everything we are, everything we do, 
And everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism. I love that word dynamism. A passion, an energy, an awareness that is lived out as a response to his summons and service. Calling. God beckons us to himself so that everything we do, we are, we say, we think has a special commitment to God as well as a passion and energy that is lived out in response to that call. The call of God changes everything in our lives. Now this calling, as we think in terms of being applied to pastors, first of all speaks of an internal, to be called by God, something on a very personal level. Now this call may come to us in many ways. It may be a, a desire within us. Something within our hearts and minds that we long for. There may even be instances, and I think they may be rare, but I don't want to rule out that they happen. Where one hears the audible call of God. May not be on the same level of Moses who stood in front of the burning bush and hears God say, take the sandals off your feet because the ground you're on is holy ground. It may not be like Samuel when he was in, in the temple serving under Eli, and he heard the Lord saying to him, Samuel, but you cannot deny the voice of God when he speaks to us, whether it be externally in our ears or internally in our hearts. There is no denying the call of God. But that call is not just on an individual level. As we think about the issues of how our elders selected, we also recognize this truth. There is also an external awareness of that call where it is affirmed by the congregation. In other words, there's not just the internal call where a person comes up and says, I feel called to be a pastor, and the church automatically says, well, okay, thumbs up, you're good to go. That's not what we see played out in the scripture nor in church history. There is an affirmation given by a congregation where the congregation recognizes the character of the person because remember, great skills without character is a formula for failure. And often we get caught up in thinking about the skill of one who can teach or, or one who has charisma without thinking about the underlying character and that church spells disaster. So a church that is loving and committed in following Christ, when a person comes forward and says, I feel called by God to be a pastor, that church begins a process of examining character. And then looking at, do we see evidence of that call? I saw this played out in my own life as I began wrestling with the call to ministry. I thank God for leaders who saw something in a 12-year-old boy who they thought this may be something that would be that God could use. And when I was 12 years old, allowed me to preach a sermon. Now, I don't recommend that today. But this was a small rural church on a youth Sunday. And I preached from Matthew chapter 4 on the temptations. Because you know a 12-year-old knows a lot about temptations. The point was they saw something and wanted to nurture it. May not have been the best way. But it helped encourage me. 
And then as I grew in that calling and even became a member of First Baptist Church Athens and began thinking about the calling, there were mentors who came alongside the pastor, the student minister, who helped me. And then, then a group of deacons that I, I met with. And then this process of going through ordination, of looking at my life. That's the external responsibility that a congregation has. Not in an angry way, not in a condescending way, but in a loving way. Internal and external. Now, I firmly believe that as we think about calling, there's the general call that we must recognize. In other words, the general call to every believer that comes really in three parts. Every believer is called to salvation. That's the call to come and follow. That is the call that issues out, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is the call that comes out that says, you are a sinner that will stand before a holy God. Repent and be saved. It is the Holy Spirit who calls to us to follow Jesus in repentance and in confession of who he is. This call is a reminder that salvation does not originate in us, but it originates in the grace of God who calls us even when we were his enemies. We know that calling. Every believer should. Whether you responded to it quickly or whether you stood as they were singing the 16th verse of Just As I Am and your knuckles were turning white on the back of the pew, you know that calling that says, I must be saved. Is the call to follow. Every believer also receives the call to come out. This is the call of sanctification. The call to be in the world. We have to be in the world to be witnesses. But not to be of the world. The call that is echoed in 1 Peter. Repeating Leviticus where Peter wrote. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. It is the call to come out and to be holy. Every believer has received that. And every believer will receive the call to come up. The call of glorification. When the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are alive will meet them in the air to be with our Lord Jesus forever. Encourage one another with these words. Church, we will all receive that call. That is the call to every believer. But there's also a call that every believer has, and it is the call to love and serve. Now, I'm thinking in general terms. We're not even to the point of dealing with the specific call and thinking of vocational work. We're dealing with every believer is called to love and to serve one another. There's no excuse for us not to. The Lord has made it clear that's what we are to do. For example, in John 13, verses 14 through 17, after Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples, he says to to his followers, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We need that reminder that every believer is called to serve. In this consumer age where often we view the church as existing to meet our needs. And so we often view church like a consumer views Walmart that it's there to give us whatever we want. We need to come back to the truth that to be a part of a congregation is a call to serve. Martin Luther King in his final sermon preaching at Ebenezer Baptist Church on February 4th. 
1968 said this in the message entitled The Drum Major Instinct. He said that because he says everyone has to fight the pride to want to be in front of the band, calling the tune. He said we are all called to serve. He said these words, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. In fact, he went on to say, if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Oh, if I could preach like that. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right side or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world through service. We are all called to serve. We are all called to love. That's inescapable. But also recognize that within this general call, there are specific callings that God places upon our life. So we move now from that general call where we are called to be saved, to be sanctified, to be glorified, called as part of being sanctified, to love and to serve. We also recognize that we are given a specific call by God. This is often termed in words of a vocation, which comes from the Latin word. That's not, it should be vocation. I had an end to that. I was thinking of vacation. Vocatio, which means a call or summons. When someone asks you, what's your vocation? They're asking you literally, what's your calling? What has God summoned you to do? And as Oz Guinness reflected in the definition that he gave, this calling of God impacts every aspect of our life. Every aspect. There is no division for the believer between secular and sacred. All of our life belongs to God. So what that means is that if you are called to be a teacher, a doctor, whatever it may be, a businessman, a truck driver, you are called to do that for God's glory, and thereby it is your ministry. That's why Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of it. Richard Foster in his book on prayer talks about a time where he had gone to Alaska on a mission trip where they were helping, he and his group were helping to build a church. And as part of that church, they had to dig by hand a, a, a sewer ditch. And as he was digging this ditch, he said he was getting frustrated because this was hard work. The, the pick and the shovel were having a hard time breaking up the frozen tundra. And he said an old man had come out and stood in the cold watching him dig. Foster said he stopped for a moment just to catch his breath. And the old man looked at him and said, you're digging a ditch for the glory of God. Foster thought about that. You're digging a ditch for the glory of God. And he said, yes, I am. And that renewed him. Do you ever think about that? As an accountant, as you were making the accounts balance, you're doing that for the glory of God. As a teacher, as you are teaching the basics of writing, arithmetic, 
You're doing that for the glory of God. We have to keep that big picture in mind. Paul echoed this in Colossians when he said, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea of calling. Now we do recognize that when we start thinking in terms of vocation and specific callings, there are some that God calls specifically to serve as a pastor. This speaks of that one who has a desire to shepherd and a desire to preach and teach and make disciples. Notice how in verse 1 he says, if you aspire to the office of overseer, you aspire or you desire, excuse me, you desire a noble task. You're desiring something that is good. And the motivation behind this desire is crucial. That's why Paul says he should not be a recent convert. In other words, should we be called to make this change? This is of the utmost importance. If you start thinking, I need to be an elder because there are things that need to be changed there. Or if you start thinking, I need to be an elder because you know what? They just need good, strong leadership and I can make something there. No. That is not the attitude that an elder, pastor, or shepherd is to have. But if you are thinking in your heart and your mind, I love the people of God. And if I can help them know Jesus, that's what I want to do. If I can help make disciples, if I can be there when they're, they're hurting and show them the compassion of Christ. And even at the hard times when there is a brother or sister that is struggling with sin, if I can be there to point them to the gospel, I want to be. I recognize that's not a call that many people cherish or want. To be perfectly frank with you, whenever I was in my late teen years and was really wrestling, am I called to be a preacher? My dad really pushed me to think hard about that. I mean, he was really adamant in thinking hard about that. It's not because my dad was against the gospel. My dad was a believer. He was a servant in the church, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. But he knew the hard road that pastors could have. That's why this calling is such a specific one. And if God has laid it on your heart, you can't escape it. Now, I recognize that within this call, there are some that are also called and skilled to serve in other ways. In other words, just to be a pastor doesn't mean you have to be a full, quote-unquote, full-time Ministry. In other words, you may have a desire to shepherd, but also feel a call to serve in other ways. This is what we would recognize as a lay pastor. They may not be able to give 40 hours a week, may not be paid, but they still feel this call and this desire to serve. And that's healthy. And also we recognize there are others like myself or Chris or Michael or Tony that are, are full-time pastors. In other words, when God called us, he said, this one thing is what you are to focus on. How do you discern the difference between that? That's something that you work through internally and externally. The idea of being a lay pastor or a full-time pastor are still equal callings of God that must be affirmed by the congregation. This is so crucial. This means it, that a person who feels like they are called to be a pastor needs to be an active part of a, a congregation, a member, for quite a while. Because this requires time to observe, to rub shoulders with, 
to be a part of. It's not an attitude of, oh, you've been here three years and you feel called to, to be a pastor. Yes, it takes more time than that. This inward call being affirmed by the congregation has its precedent in the, the New Testament. When they, that is Paul and Silas, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed into the Lord in whom they had believed. You see this pattern of Paul and Silas appointing elders. But then what happened after Paul and Silas and other apostles faded from the scene? In other words, if Paul and Silas had the authority as apostles to appoint elders, where does that leave us today? Well, I want to give a, share with you a quote from an early church writing. It's not scripture. Um, Athanasius once said there are three types of books. There's the scripture that is above all. There are books that are not scripture but are helpful. And there are books that we need to stay away from. This quote that I'm about to share with you comes from a book that is not scripture but it's very helpful. It's called the Didache. The Didache is a collection of writings from the early church that give us insight into how the early church functioned. I'm talking about from the late 100s and the 200s. And in the 15th chapter of the Didache, verse 1, it says, Elect therefore for yourselves bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord, humble men and not covetous or unfaithful and well-tested, for they also serve you in the ministry of the prophets and teachers. He says to the church of the Didache, whoever wrote this, the early church said, elect within yourselves, which speaks of this idea of affirmation. The apostles had faded from the scene. So we see that this inward call must be affirmed outwardly based upon character from 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7. And the ability to teach. Now, how does that play out? Should we make this change? That's something that we will work through as a congregation. But I think this pattern of inward and outward calling is crucial. But I would remind you, as we think of calling, it's not just for the super spiritual. Because the truth is, none of us are super spiritual. It's for every believer. What call has God placed on your life? What desires has he given you to serve him? Don't fight that call. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me now, if you will. God is gracious. If you'll think just a moment, you will be put in a spirit of worship when you recognize that the God of the universe, who knows everything, the 8 billion people who walk on this planet right now and the billions that have preceded us knows you and has a plan for you. Now that plan may be to be a salesman, truck driver, whatever it may be, but it may also be to serve his people. Whether it be as a lay elder or full time, that desire will be there. Father, I bow before you thanking you for the callings that you have placed upon our lives. That's your grace, O oh Lord, for we don't deserve anything. So Lord, in whatever you have called us to do, help us to do it for your glory. Help us, Father, to seek how we can serve one another, love one another. Lord, grant this, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.